spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 156th annual Subliminal Perception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. It's that big week. I'm so fucking jealous of everyone because it's Friday. And of course, the Obi-Wan series actually starts with its uh, two-part episode today. So lucky all of you guys. Today? I can't fucking wait. It's on Friday. Yep. The day that this is coming out, that's going to be coming out. So Okay, so you think it's going to be a banger. I think it's going to be a fucking banger. I actually, I didn't have Disney Plus up until this past weekend, and I saw it was coming out this Friday, so I decided to get it, and I, I've been binging Mandalorian and House Boba Fett all that ever since okay. Sunday. I've seen all of, all of Mandalorian. I do enjoy it. I never finished Boba Fett. Would you recommend it? No. I watched up until the point where they had the Mandalorian. And then I just said, well, that's as good as this is going to get. And I quit watching it. But yeah, <laughs> The Mandalorian, that was a fucking great show. Everyone loves that show. But Damn, you really didn't like Boba Fett, huh? No, it was just fucking boring. It was, it was just I'm sitting around, just hanging out pretty much. So, I mean, he's like the cartel leader or whatever. That's what they do. Yeah, it's mostly just him kind of in that little town, just hanging out, you know, fighting for his shit. I didn't really enjoy it. Mandalorian had a much better story, but yeah. nah. Well, those are fresh characters. One of them was an extreme alt writer, uh, so that was fun. Um, did you know that girl got kicked off the show? Yes, I did hear that she... I I didn't realize that she was actually in season two. I thought they kicked her off before they taped season two. She was in it, but I guess she's not going to be in season. No, no, that's what I've... Uh, that's what I've heard because she got uh, just a little bit too radical. Yeah, a little too radical for... Uh, the corporate Disney out there. Yeah. But I wouldn't I wouldn't doubt it if they kind of like quietly bring her back a little bit, if they have a fourth season. Okay, so there was three seasons, right? There's a third season coming out eventually, yeah. So your prediction is by the fourth season? Yes. Uh, I believe be okay. the shit will calm down enough for them to bring her back. Okay. What if Trump's president again? Then uh, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly, if that happens again, then none of my predictions are <laughs> good at all because they obviously are terrible. I didn't think he'd win the first time. So, yeah, I that tweet about the child's book um, from him <laughs> that I that I had on my Instagram was quite. You almost want to read it just for like the what the fuck is this factor? Yeah, I mean, just kind of just have it on your bookshelf. Or on your coffee table as a conversation piece. <laughs> exactly. But uh, anything else new in your life, Phil? No, not really. Just, uh, you know, just working. I'm about to move in a couple of weeks. So I obviously have to pick the worst time of the year to move when it's going to be about 110 out when I'm packing up my shit. So that's going to suck. But you- yeah, I'm moving into a new place, uh, hopefully buying a house in a year. But for right now, renting at this place. So. Are did you are you paying like one of those companies like 
two beefcake boys in in a truck or something like that? No, I'm not. Okay. I'm actually uh, having my family help me. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen those trucks before? With just ridiculous fucking business titles. Yeah, I actually when I moved from uh, Tempe when I was going to ASU, when I moved from there to Mesa, I actually hired one of those companies to help me because pretty much all my family was out of town, and they basically. Honestly, I pretty much I packed everything up myself. I had it right out there for them. I had to help them move my own shit into their trucks, and they actually charged me way more than they quoted me for. So I'm never using like that company again. Yeah, it sounds. But did you use um two two men in a truck or two dudes in a truck, whatever it's called? Two steroid induced men <laughs> hauling <laughs> hauling items for. <laughs> Weak, measly people. That's what I would put on the side of my truck there. <laughs> carrying, meet- carrying items for pathetic people. Moving company. <laughs> Pretty much that's what it was. Like, yeah. <laughs> two meatheads in a truck. That's all it was. As long as they high-fived when they were all done, then you know it was a successful transaction there. Yeah, they actually, I don't know if they got lost on the way or stopped for lunch, but basically I was waiting at my my new apartment for quite a while for them to like show up. So no, it wasn't that great of experience. They had to juice up before getting started. They had to go get a quick pump at the gym or some (laughs) shit like that. Uh, Anyway, uh, are you ready to get into this week's week's subject, Phil? Yeah, let's hit it. I'm excited to see what it is. (laughs) All right. This week, we are going to be covering a story that has happened in recent history and still to this day remains unsolved. The particular tragedy we will be discussing today is Malaysia Airlines Flight MH370, which was a plane that is believed to have crashed, but they still don't exactly know why or how or kind of the the story around it, why it crashed. But uh, that's why we're here today. We're gonna. There's a lot of conspiracy theories to weed through, and that's yep. why we're here, isn't it, Phil? Definitely. There's a lot of conspiracy theories on the internet. A lot of them toxic about you know the alleged things that may have happened to this or the groups that may have taken this one down. So. So okay, now this particular conspiracy actually kind of sh- shares an interesting bond between you and I because. When I flew to England to stay with you for those few weeks, this had happened um, like uh, while I was there. I remember it clearly because I was like, this fucking plane just went down and I have (laughs) 10 hours to fly back to Minnesota. Um, So, you know, and I was by myself. So it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's one of those things where it's kind of weird. The... It's weird how some of those things happen because while I was actually on vacation, like in France, we were riding the trains around, kind of like going around France and Spain, and there was a stabbing that happened, or basically there was a, an American Air Force guy, I don't know if you remember this, there was a shooter on one of the trains in France, and he actually stopped the shooter and got stabbed in the arm or stabbed in the hand. They make, they made a movie out of it later, but that actually happened kind of like while I was riding the trains in Spain. It's kind of a crazy weekend. Yeah. That sort of thing. Like it's always weird when that shit happens. Like, and you catch the news, like while you are doing like the exact same thing that that other person 
like kind of had a you know yeah. another situation happened and you know what actually that reminds me too phil when the very first like week or two that i moved up to the twin cities i think you were hanging out with me here or something and we were gonna go to the mall of america and it was so busy that day we couldn't find a parking spot so we just left and then yeah. we come home and my cousin's like hey someone just got like stabbed severe really bad over a parking spot at the Mall of America that day. Yeah, basically we were telling her, I wouldn't doubt it. It yeah. was pretty bad in there. <laughs> it was packed, and people are oh, fucking yeah. ruthless savages uh, when that thing's packed. But um, It was, I think it was either Black Friday, the week after Black Friday, or it was like the week before Christmas that that happened. So. It could have been. I can't remember that. Jesus, it was uh, six, no, eight, almost 18 years ago at this point. We are old yeah, fucks, Phil. It's, it's been a fucking minute. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to the story here. Now, the story of Malaysian flight MH370 all began on March 8th, 2014. Flight 370 was scheduled to depart from Kuala Lumpur International Airport located in Malaysia, uh, headed for Beijing, China. Now, the plane would take off from Malaysia at approximately 12 12.42 a.m. and was supposed to land in Beijing at approximately 5.30 a.m. Around there. The flight time was estimated to be 5 hours and 34 minutes. It allegedly had enough fuel on board to last 7 hours and 41 minutes in the air. This is a very important detail that will come into play in the conspiracy uh, section of this. Now, okay. some another very, very important fact, and I am assuming America's not like this as far as I know, but uh, Malaysia Airlines is owned and operated by the government. Uh, America, I think they're all independent as far as I know. But he, yes, they yeah, they're all independent airlines or owned by conglomerates, basically. <laughs> it's kind of a monopoly, isn't it, in America? I mean, like pretty close to one. Not yeah, not quite a monopoly, but there's a lot of those little air, little airlines that are run by like very large like airlines that you yeah. wouldn't you wouldn't realize it. Um, normally, normally the deal is they call it their family of airlines. Yeah, like Delta, American Airlines, they all kind of have like their family of airlines. Just like that episode you did with the freedom of choice thing. Oh yeah, there is none. Basically, yeah. is what we came up with about that. <laughs> But anyway, uh, do you know any other country that does this? Ooh, um, I believe Qatar. So Qatar okay. Airlines, I believe that was the Qatar government. I'm not exactly 100% sure, but I believe that one is. How about so it's Air kind of, Canada? Air Canada? I do not believe Air <laughs> Canada is ran by Canadian government. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not exactly sure about that one, but I'd guess not. They're, uh, they're pretty capitalist. So, so there. yeah, that that detail, I don't think, from what I remember, if you're watching the news or paying attention to this news story, um, that detail wasn't really spoken about, that the government had a vested interest in <laughs> what was going on with their airplanes uh, at the time. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's I actually did not realize that Malaysian Airlines, by the country of Malaysia, until yeah. you just said it three minutes ago. I think so. this, so this episode, 
I have probably consumed more information than any episode I have done in a long time. So, um, like, there's little details that were kind of pulled from um, a shitload of different sources. And, yeah, most of them brought up the fact, like, this airline's owned and operated by the government. You got to work for the government if you work there, et cetera, et cetera. But we'll get into more of that, like, later in the episode here. Uh, okay. So continuing on, the airplane that was being used for this flight was a Boeing 777-200ER, which at the time, the exact plane, was 11 years old, and it there had never been a report of any sort of mechanical incident. Not that that doesn't mean it'll never happen, but at the yep. time, uh, it had been running perfectly. Flight 370 was carrying two pilots and 10 flight attendants and 227 passengers, five of which were children. Most of the passengers were Chinese. 38 of them were Malaysian. The rest were a combination of Indonesian, Australian, uh, Indian, French, uh, Americans, Iranians, Ukrainians, Canadians, New Zealanders, or I guess I could call them Kiwis if we're feeling like it. Kiwis. Uh, The Dutch, (laughs) uh, and Russians, and Taiwanese. So... Mostly Chinese makes sense. They're heading for China, um, but yeah, a lot of lot of uh, different bodies here. Most of like I think it was like eighty percent of them were Chinese, so uh, it's quite quite a bit were that. Yeah. So yeah, I was gonna say not a horrible sounding flight with only five children on board for <laughs> two hundred twenty seven passengers. You might get a nice little nap in without a bunch of little shitheads kicking the back of your seat. Here's what I was wondering. With a flight this late at night, right, do you think they're mm-hmm. less likely to bring children on a plane? Um, It depends. Most So most of the red-eye flights that I've been on actually were either just – you could tell they were just business people or like families just trying to like – you know, it was always families. So that's kind of the weird thing. Every time I've ever taken a red-eye flight – it's. It was usually on British Airlines coming back from uh, England to United States, and there was always like families on board. Granted, though, those flights were usually pretty dead. There wasn't. Uh, there wasn't a- almost anyone on board. But it was always kind of the people who were on board were all like a oh, husband, wife, or you know, a single parent with like two to three kids. Okay, that I remember. So let's clarify here. Let me double check. When you say business people. You mean people with suits on who reek of booze and strippers. <laughs> Basically, yeah. They still got stripper dust all over their face and shit. Sir, yeah, why do you got exactly. so much glitter on you? <laughs> you can tell if he's a good businessman by the amount of glitter he has on his face when he gets on that airplane. Sir, I think you just urinated all over your seat. I'll have another. I'll have another scotch, please. <laughs> Keep him coming, sweetheart. Keep them coming. Yeah, they're all. <laughs> no, yeah, it's um. you can kind of tell because they're all, they've got their laptops out and they don't have like fun things on the screen. They all have like fucking spreadsheets and shit. So, so it's usually you can't tell from what they're wearing anymore, but it's basically like what they're doing now. If you can tell like they're coming back from business trips or something like that. So I rem- I've seen it on the internet a lot. Like people will post, they catch another passenger like openly watching porn or something on their phone or computer. Have yeah. you ever witnessed that on a plane? I never have. 
I never have witnessed that on a plane. That might just be a really good way to get people like your next door, your next seat over, not to talk to you. Very true. Very true. I mean, I felt a little awkward when I would like pre-download Netflix movies or whatever, and then watch them and then be some boobs or something for the movie. Yeah. But it wasn't <laughs> hardcore like Pornhub fucking porn on there. No, yeah, it's it is always interesting to see to like look over at other watching. Yes, it definitely is, isn't it? Yeah, and then there's sometimes the nice the nice incidences when you have the planes with the TVs. If you ever get bored of like whatever's on your little TV, you can just kind of always like look over and see like what else is on. See if you want to, you know, <laughs> like oh shit, I didn't even see that. And then it's some good series you want to watch. Throw it on. Old Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episodes, maybe. Throw okay, that on. We're going to issue a new TikTok challenge. Get on a plane and just stare at the person next to you. See how long you can do it before they punch you. If you can make it the whole flight, you've completed the challenge. <laughs> can you imagine how scary that'd be? Just someone just staring at you the entire flight. <laughs> or someone sitting there with their headphones in, just kind of like watching their shit. You just take another head. And then put it in your ear and then just kind of <laughs> lean over next to them as you're watching the, their screen. I love this show, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for paying the five bucks. <laughs> now, the pilots uh, for Flight 370 uh, were a man named Zaire Ahmed Shah, who at the time was 53 years old and a senior captain for Malaysia Airlines. He had clocked in over 18,000 flying hours. Very, very experienced. The second pilot was actually a trainee, 27-year-old Farouk Hamid. Uh, this was going to be Hamid's final training flight before he Ooh, would actually re- good. <laughs> before he was actually going to receive the certificate to become a full-fledged pilot. So it's not like he probably didn't know what the fuck was going on, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about it is. When a plane's up in the air, just kind of coasting, pretty much anyone could fly that thing, just as long as you don't touch the wrong buttons. So if you are, even if you're, you know, on your final training flight, uh, you're not too worried about it when you're up in the air. It's the takeoff and the landing yeah, that you'd be worried yeah. about. If the if the senior pilot, like, passed out or died or something, right. you'd be a little bit worried about Farik, you know, like, t- bringing her in for a landing. But up in the air, you think it'd be fine. I have a feeling even in this scenario, I think Farik probably with as I'm assuming he had to have at least, I don't know, shitload of flights under his belt. He probably at least kind of knew what the hell to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, you would hope. But I mean, with these, you know, with some of these countries, you don't really know like how much training they actually had, like how much pencil whipping there was with their training too. I mean, I'm not assuming that. Malaysia has bad, you know, training and all that stuff. I'm assuming that he's had flight hours, but like you hope that they're getting, you know, the level of training that everyone else is getting. Right. But uh, back to this here. So, yes, Hamid, obviously someone inexperienced. Now, Zahari obviously clocked in a shitload of hours. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because he's noted for being almost obsessed with flying in apparently he had two homes by the way in one of the homes he had this like custom setup thing to play Microsoft Flight Simulator like not just the little one you know you play like a legit setup for it um and he was also a member of like a flight simulator forum and was a very active poster on it allegedly so this man 
really enjoyed flying, apparently. Yeah, I'm actually kind of interested to see, like, what his setup was for his flight simulator. Because you think about most people who have, like, a setup for flight simulator. They just might have, like, a couple of screens and a joystick and a few things. I wonder if he had actual, like, some of the buttons and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, some of the knobs and Well, they they didn't, the like, indicators. show... They didn't show, like, a pitch or anything, but... Um, I would assume if you're describing it as a custom flight simulator setup, that probably means you have, remember in school, one of the classes we took had like the knobs, the, the steering wheel, like the, all the gadgets and shit for the flight simulator. Yes. I imagine it's probably something like that. And if this was, you know, even though this was, eight, uh, what, eight years ago at this point, I'm sure they had some pretty awesome controller setups you could have. Oh yeah, if he put I mean if they if it was worth mentioning, then yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he had quite a good setup. Imagine if he was at his house and he even had like this shitty intercom and he was just <laughs> <laughs> it was going into like if he had wife and a uh, wife and kids room and he just would give him like updates on how the flight's going. <laughs> like, shut up, dad. <laughs> Darling, darling, <laughs> I'm gonna meet another tear up here, please. <laughs> I don't know if his wife's name was Darlene. I just imagine. Uh, you know Darlene. what? Anything goes. It sounds legit. Yeah. Now, as to be expected, uh, Zahari would be the one kind of in charge of radio communication back with the command center while the flight was going. After the flight departed, everything was going pretty smoothly. At approximately 1.01 a.m., Captain Zahari would radio in that the plane had just leveled off at 35,000 feet. Now, to me, maybe you and I, apparently, this doesn't sound like a weird thing, but I guess this isn't a normal thing to do, like to announce that you have reached 35,000 feet and are coasting. Um, usually, you only notify when you're like leaving <laughs> that elevation. Yeah. So this is kind of the first like slightly weird thing that goes on. About seven minutes later, at 1.08 a.m., Flight 370 crossed the Malaysian coastline and was beginning to cross into the South China Sea, headed in the direction of Vietnam. Now, apparently, Zahari again announced that the plane was level at 35,000 feet. It's not really clear if he also said, like, hey, we just crossed into the China Sea, or if he just said... The planes at that elevation again. This is what they claim. These are the he just said it twice. Not really sure why, but he just said it twice. Okay, in my mind, like hearing about this, I'm thinking that if it's this dude, it's the young guy who's announcing the stuff to the towers, right? I, in my mind, I'm thinking this is his final training flight. He doesn't want any bad marks against him. So he's basically running down even like the things that you would normally announce, he's kind of gonna do it. You know, like, right. oh, shit, we're at 35,000 feet. Hey, tower, we're at, you know, 35,000 feet. Normally, if you're normally like when the seatbelt light goes off, the pilot will come in and announce that you're at cruising altitude. So like, oh, yeah, we're at 30 whatever thousand feet. Uh, go ahead if you need to use the restrooms. The drink cart's going to be coming around, blah, blah, blah. See, so see, yes, that makes sense to announce that to the passengers. Yes. Apparently, it's not normal to announce it to air traffic control. So... I guess hmm. this is this is just what the information we're given. It's a little weird, but obviously it's nothing to set off alarms yet. Okay. Yeah. Now, roughly about twelve minutes later, 
at 1.19 a.m., Kuala Lumpur Center radioed the plane and notified them that they were going to be entering Vietnamese air traffic jurisdiction. They then told Zahari, Malaysian 370, contact Ho Chi Minh, 120.9, good night. Zahari replied back, good night, Malaysian 370. Now, apparently this is also strange because the pilot is supposed to announce the frequency back, but he only said that little line. And um, again, it's abnormal, but uh, nothing to set up alarms. But this will be the last ever communication between Kuala Lumpur International and Flight 370. And neither of the pilots would even attempt to contact Ho Chi Minh, nor would they answer a single one of transmissions from either of the the um, airports here. So this is, after he says that, nothing is ever said again. Okay, so after after all of that is said, it's radio silence. They never contact Ho Chi Minh City Airport. Yes. Uh, or anyone else. Okay, radio silence after that. Uh, I, I've learned a lot about being a pilot here, apparently. So when... You get passed off. You're supposed to announce to the person you are going to be dealing with next that you have entered their airspace. Okay, gotcha. And he so they had never announced to Vietnam that they were coming in. No, no. So it's weird that he just said goodnight, Malaysian 370, and then it's just nothing. Nothing yeah, back. Just, so basically the Malaysian airline, the Malaysian towers the Vietnamese, and he just basically said, ah, fuck Vietnam. I don't care about them. <laughs> well, that's the mystery we're trying to figure out here, Phil. Yeah. Um, so about five seconds after Flight 370 entered Vietnamese airspace, it would disappear from Kuala Lumpur's transponder. About 37 seconds later, it disappeared from Kuala Lumpur's second radar, which is believed to be because uh, they suspect, now we'll get into this more in the conspiracy, that somehow, some way, their, transpa- their transponder was turned off, either okay. manually or by some electrical incident. Apparently, uh, Kuala Lumpur's air traffic controller didn't initially notice that Flight 370 had actually disappeared from all their radars. Um, when they finally did notice at 1.21 a.m., they just assumed they had to be out of range and Ho Chi Minh had just completely taken over like they were supposed to. Now, interestingly, the Vietnamese air traffic controllers saw Flight 370 enter their airspace, but would soon completely disappear from their radar. When they saw it disappear, they did try to contact Flight 370, but nobody was responding back to them. Apparently... There was supposed to be some sort of unwritten agreement that Vietnamese air traffic controllers were supposed to contact Kuala Lumpur if any of their flights had taken more than five minutes to check in with them. Uh, But they wouldn't call Kuala Lumpur until 18 minutes from the disappearance had already elapsed. Oh, shit. Yeah, a little bit of a fuck up here. Okay. Um, It probably should have been... I don't know if it would have made a difference in the end once we go through the whole story, but it's kind of, it seems like kind of an important thing you should be doing if a plane just 
disappears from your radar and doesn't contact you. Yeah, perhaps they were having a little bit of uh, like a smoke break out yeah, back. Yeah, you know, maybe uh, instead of just having their two, they maybe took a three, uh, just a three smoke smoke break. It happens sometimes. <laughs> They're in a hardcore game of fucking chess or some shit. They could not <laughs> play in hacky sack out back. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? The smoke might be right because from all the uh, Anthony Bourdain, what is it? No reservations when he goes to like those Asian countries. I swear to God, everybody's smoking. Oh, definitely. Um, the episode where Barack Obama was on, uh, yeah, they they went to that restaurant. People were smoking basically like in the restaurant. You know, just what? like chilling out still. You know what's funny about that episode? For for Anthony Bourdain, a man who is drunk most of his the time he existed. Um, yep. I've he was so nervous to meet Barack Obama. Oh yeah, definitely, and. Barack Obama, cool as a cucumber. All of Barack Obama's fucking, all of his Secret Service people, uh, very on edge. You like, you would see the Secret Service people just like scanning the crowd, looking around. That'd be very nerve wracking because that place was full of people. Yeah, but that was Obama's. Uh, he lived there for a long time. They were in Indonesia. Yes. Yeah. He. Uh, he. We. Uh, we had that that episode about it. Indonesia and uh, Hawaii. Right. I mean, yeah. he, he uh, I remember him drinking, I think, a Coors Light or Miller Light. I can't remember what his beer was. Ooh, I I remember him being a Coors man, but I'm not exactly I be, sure. I, prob- I know he smoked Marlboro Lights <laughs> for his deal, it, uh, supposedly. It, pro- it probably was a Coors then. Coors not too bad. No, as far as piss beer goes, Coors isn't that bad. <laughs> now, the disappearance only would get worse due to sheer incompetence. Apparently, after Kuala Lumpur was informed about F- Flight 370's disappearance from the radars, uh, they should have pretty much immediately contacted Kuala Lumpur's Aeronautical Rescue Coordination Center within about an hour of this problem happening. But they decided, and I don't even know why, to not contact this center until, I guess, 5.30 in the morning Four hours after it had already disappeared, according to one of the sources, they didn't actually even start the search until 6.32 a.m., about the time the flight was supposed to be landing in Beijing. <laughs> that sounds like a first shift problem, yeah. not an overnight problem. Like, That's exactly what that fucking sounds like. <laughs> like, oh, now wait for the first shift guys to come in. Yeah, I don't want to deal with this shit, man. <laughs> but why... I- I've been here since eight o'clock last night. I'm almost out of cigarettes. Let's let's get this moving. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Like, obviously, we'll this might feed into the conspiracy, the ultimate conspiracy. But why would you wait that long? I have no. I mean, the thing is, it's really. This is kind of going to sound weird to say. You don't want to jump the gun. On something like that. Because imagine if it was just a little problem with their radio or their transponders and their radios and they landed in Beijing just fine. So if you basically call for a big search and rescue over the Indian Ocean and then all of a sudden they land in Beijing, you look like an asshole at that point. Yeah, you know what? That is that is very true. Um, They had I mean, shit like this probably happens a lot. Like, oh, yeah, their radio just went down. Oh, their transponder just clicked off. Somebody accidentally bumped it when they went up to go take a piss. Somebody bumped the transponder or something like that. So 
So I'm guessing that it might have been something like that. You really wouldn't want to jump the gun. I mean, especially for these little countries, or they're not little countries, but, you know, maybe countries that don't have a shit ton of funding for that kind of stuff. Those big search and rescues can be really expensive. Yeah. Yeah, I I can't remember the exact number, but I think they said, was it like almost $150 million has been spent already searching for this plane or something like that? Yeah, and I mean, that's over the course of months and years. Yeah. But I mean, even like a six hour, even like sending ships and aircrafts out there for just the six hours until they landed in Beijing would be really expensive, especially an expensive fuck up if it turns out they landed. So I can see that. That's just like my brain kind of thinking about it. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll come back to that fact um, in the conspiracy section because it's kind of important. Now, now, after they finally did search, um, the initial search was comprised of 34 ships and 28 aircrafts, all from seven different countries that were all searching the South China Sea for a plane that had crashed. Now, they were searching, obviously, where they kind of lost communication initially, but when they were searching, didn't find a single shred of anything. The ironic ironic thing is, <laughs> while they were literally doing this search and rescue, the plane that what they would find out later was actually still flying in the air in a completely different area. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> this is the, I mean, we're going to talk about where the plane is, but how ironic is it? They've got all these planes and boats searching in this area, and this plane is technically still in the air. Yeah, they're all searching the seas for wreckage and trying to look for, you know, oil slicks and everything. And it turns out this this plane is just completely in the wrong like area, going the wrong direction, still in the air though. Yeah. Is that is that a supposedly or is that a definite it was still in the air at this point? Um, we'll talk about it, but it's pretty much a definitely. They don't know okay. exactly gotcha. when it went down. Allegedly went down, I should say, for the conspiracy section here, but they have yeah. narrowed it down and it's about two hours after this started. Okay. Allegedly. Gotcha. Allegedly, supposedly, allegedly. Yep. All right. Now, it would take them a few days to kind of gather all the information that they needed about what exactly happened to Flight 370 when it officially or when it finally disappeared from the radars initially. Uh, they were using apparently a secret Malaysian Air Force data. I guess they were watching it, sort of, uh, along with, I can't remember how they described the satellites working. It obviously wasn't like a photographic image of them, but it was like pinging the airplane with a satellite. And okay. They, and they would try to contact it with the satellite as well, and nobody answered. Um, and then it kind of, they once they had all the information, they discovered the airplane had actually taken a very, very weird route. Apparently, after Flight 370 disappeared from the second radar, it had turned sharply back southwest, flew back across the Malay Peninsula, banked across the island of Penang, then flew northwards up up to the Strait of Malacca and across the Adaman Sea before continuing straight south towards Antarctica. Now, this picture here... The blue line is where they were supposed to go. And yep. when they disappeared at number two, this is where they start to turn. Okay. 
and uh, where number four is heading south on the Indian Ocean, that's where they found out the plane was going. This is why the search and rescue was in the completely wrong area because the plane had basically turned around. So they expected them to be off the coast of Vietnam, basically, where they were searching. But really, by that time, they were actually more closer to, it looks like Thailand, they, crossing over Thailand and then out into the Indian Ocean. Okay. Yep, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll make sure to post this uh, on Instagram so everyone can see yeah, it. Yeah, it's it, basically, if you can imagine almost going, if you have Africa, the continent, and then Australia, and then you imagine the plane going almost right down the middle of it, heading south, that's where the plane is. If it yeah. it's heading almost directly for Antarctica. Pretty fucking gotcha. weird. Yeah, it's an odd flight. It's an odd path to take. Yeah. Definitely. So, and when we get, to, I want everybody to keep in mind too, when we get to the conspiracy section, a lot of this is speculated before they had the exact route that the plane allegedly took. So keep that in mind as well. Is it one of those situations where Malaysian military kind of kept this all under wraps that they were actually secretly pinging these these aircraft? So my understanding is after it disappeared from the airport's radars and such, the military still kept a look like kept track of it for quite a while. Um, yeah. And then when the plane was going uh, like south deep into the Indian Ocean, that's when the satellite kind of took over. Gotcha. Okay. So it's it's weird that the, I mean, I guess they wouldn't know, but you'd assume the Air Force might have attempted to contact them and been like, what is this plane doing? But may, they probably had no idea. Yeah. Well, I mean, they also have to look out for, I mean, there's, in this area, there's cities with millions and millions of people, yeah. very densely populated cities. You've got to watch out for like terrorist shit too. So you have a you have a 777, which is a huge plane loaded with fuel um, coming back around towards some of these big cities. So maybe that possibly that's what they're worried about. You know what? Actually, save that. uh, Save that thought. That's important in the conspiracy part here, Phil. Okay, gotcha. So they wouldn't find a single shred of anything until about a year and two to three months later, on July 29th, 2015, debris had washed up on Reunion Island near Madagascar. Now, if you want to get an idea where Reunion Island is, you have Africa, and then off to the east coast, there is Madagascar, and then off of Madagascar, even further east, is Reunion Island. So, it was uh, a piece of the flap washed up on the shores there. Which is, it's very far away from this area. Yes. Because the entire subcontinent of India is between this, the whole Indian Ocean, and, like, then you have, like, Madagascar, and I don't know exactly where Reunion Island is, but I'm guessing if they're describing it as off the coast of Madagascar, it's pretty fucking far away. So, do you know about the gap between, I don't know which country's nearest, but let's just say Africa and Madagascar, like, just heading directly east. Yeah, there's a little bit of a gap between there. So I would say if you were to take Madagascar and add that gap again, that's where Re- Reunion Island is. Okay, gotcha. So it's, so it's, it's, it's per- not it's not terribly far off the coast of Africa. No, but it's pretty... I mean, it's out there. It's way far away from Malaysia, though. Yes. 
Yes, from, very, very from the, far. From the, plan, from the planned flight path of this in Southeast Asia, it's really far away from there. Yeah. Now, over time, uh, littler pieces, no bodies or anything, just littler mm-hmm. pieces of the planes would slowly wash up on the African coast and all the little tiny islands located within the, in the Indian Ocean, um, all of which would officially be confirmed to be from Malaysian Airline Flight 370. Now, as mentioned, they were able to recreate the general location of the plane, at least where it should have crashed in the Indian Ocean. Um, but like, if you look at a map, Indian Ocean's quite a big place. And yep. some people believe that the now-believed flight path is actually fake because they're trying to hide where the plane actually went which we will get into there's a lot of there's a lot of conspiracies here i mean there's a lot of them i even cut out a lot of them because they just get too silly almost but yeah. um but yeah this one guy i watched the interview with him he it seemed like australia started taking over like a lot of the searching because mm-hmm. it, it was pretty close to australia where they suspect it to have crashed this one guy had searched this ocean for four years and never found anything. Um, so, and then it, in like 2017, they made him kind of give up. But, uh, but yeah, it's I don't know. They still haven't found any anything, any piece of it in the ocean. Some people think he probably actually swept over it and missed it, but I don't know. Obviously, I don't know that much about sonar and. Whatever else they use to search the ocean floor. Yeah, when it comes to uh, technology and all of that kind of stuff, I would assume that like Australia in that probably would take over. Um, I know India has a pretty decent uh, sized like coastal navy, I believe. Kind of like, you know, basically they have some boats that they could send out. Um, I believe Thailand does have a, a crack squadron of hooker pilots that they do send out to go look for stuff, but I'm not exactly sure on that one. See, I, I'm assuming it was mostly Australia because where they have mapped out where they think it has crashed, um, it, they've narrowed it to this pretty tiny section and it's pretty close to Australia. Okay. It, it'd be pretty close to Perth, I guess. Is the yeah name on, of the, the, on the west side? Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to Australia? No, I haven't. Okay, yeah, I. That's where it looks like from the videos, but obviously, never found anything except for the scraps that have washed up. Which I'm assuming, if it did crash close to Australia, and the pieces had slowly drifted all the way over there, that's pretty nuts, isn't it? Yeah, that's well, I mean, there are currents that'll take, you know, that'll wash all that stuff around there. So it's I could see how some of those little little bits and pieces that they were finding did make it all the way over to Africa. The ones that didn't get caught up on the islands, then if they, you know, maybe got caught in a current and went down around to Australia. Yeah. So I'm guessing that kind of situation. You know what they said uh, about the little islands finding debris, apparently some like rich dude is paying all the like tribes that live on these islands. Uh, if they find any wreckage, they have to contact him and he'll pay him for it. Okay. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, he kind of seemed like a douche. Maybe he's not, but 
You yeah, know, I, it sounds like a douchey little thing. Like he's been it for his personal collection, or is he like giving it to the the governments? Well, allegedly, what this video said is he was kind of a famous YouTuber or something. His goal was to go to every single country in the world, and then he stopped that to search for this plane, and he was visiting all the coasts and all this other shit. Yeah. He still kind of sounds a little douchey. <laughs> Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know what his <laughs> name is. But uh, but anyway, are you, you ready to start uh, cracking into some of these theories, Phil? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. One of the first theories that popped up, uh, even as far as the same day that the planet actually disappeared, was that it had to be some sort of a hijacking. Yep. Not necessarily terrorists yet, just some type of a hijacking. Maybe it was somebody on the plane, anything like that. The main problem with that notion is the fact that usually if you have a hijacker, hijacker, they have like a list of demands where they have, they want something if you're going to get the passengers back safely, but not a single ransom ever came, or at least they never acknowledged there was a ransom or anything. So they figured it was pretty unlikely that the plane was hijacked, not add to the fact that they're almost certain the plane ran out of fuel. So if they ran out of fuel and crashed before they could even make uh, a ransom of some kind, it seems kind of unlikely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, hijackers, they're human beings who obviously want to at some point walk off of that plane yeah. and still be alive. So unless they unless maybe they planned on crashing it into like a a building or somewhere, you know, wanted to cause the most havoc. Um, and then if they did hijack the plane, they would want people to know about it kind of deal. Yeah. Like if they if they were making some kind of usually it's about some kind of political statement. Or kind right. of some kind of statement, um, they would have like announced it to the world. Yeah, and that's kind of what you're alluding to here is kind of the next level that I think was really on everybody's mind. You no know, terrorism, essentially. Nine mm-hmm. eleven was only thirteen years old. They were still fighting whatever war uh, America was fighting. You know, terrorism was still kind of a hot button thing. So when this happened. That's what they assumed. It had to be a terrorist thing as responsible for the flight of uh, 370. Yeah. Now, oh, this- there's also very like a very large um, Muslim populations in especially like Indonesia, really big population there. Um, China, there's, you know, the the Uyghurs and there's a there's a bunch of uh, Muslim populations. So I, rem- I do remember it coming around to that, that old, you know, that old gag. Um. Let me tell you who started that, Phil. <laughs> the old uh, owner of Fox News, apparently, <laughs> Rupert Murdoch. Of course. <laughs> he, apparently, like, literally the next day the plane got hijacked, he sent out a text, and he was certain that the jihadists took the plane because they were going to start doing terroristic acts in China. That was his big thing. And then he just, then Rupert <laughs> changed his mind and he said, no, no, no. It was hijacked by a terrorist, but they just took it to Pakistan and they're just hiding there. Definitely. Yeah. Probably all the money that he was making in China started to uh, possibly almost go away once he started talking <laughs> about that shit. So he you know, got China out of it as quick as he could. Here's the uh, well, let me finish this little section here. So 
Then a Russian newspaper got in on the action and claimed that the plane was taken by a, quote, unknown terrorist flown to Afghanistan and they were all being currently held hostage. The thing about this, again, is if they did this, you would assume whatever terrorist organization they belong to or whatever message or whatever they're trying to accomplish by hijacking the plane, there would have been some sort of acknowledgement, right? Unless yeah. they took it and were shot down and just kept it under wraps. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. It's Well, I mean, this probably comes in where, you know, like it's owned by the government and, you know, all of that stuff. Right. But definitely there would have been some kind of, unless they were silenced um, first with the radios and then by being shot down. They would have definitely tried to take credit. Also, um, Afghanistan and Afghanistan, not not extremely far away from this place, but you would think that they would run out of fuel before they got there. You would definitely think that they couldn't make it. Yeah, Malaysia to Afghanistan, I don't know how far that is. It'd have to be probably under seven and a half hours. Um so the Indian Ocean, um, the the picture that we had up there, India's right up there in the the left hand corner. India is a gigantic country. On the other side of India is Pakistan, and then right next to Pakistan is Afghanistan. So yeah. it is decently far. Well, yeah. looking, it's from- a lot. It looks a lot farther than like as much gas as they might have had. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about where they were to Beijing, China, if you look at a map of that, it doesn't look like that big of a distance, but that took six and a half hours or five and a half hours. So, yeah. And I think when you're going that way, you are going against the wind current, right? I'm not exactly sure that I would imagine that the wind. Yeah. I think you're going with the wind if you're going that way, but that doesn't matter a shit. You know, that doesn't matter a ton. Yeah. As far as, um, I mean, you said that they had seven hours total of, of fuel in the tanks. Yeah. So possibly they could have made it. I just, I think they would have had to land earlier than that to refuel. But the thing is, is I just, unless they, the governments literally were willing to take out the terrorists ju- and kill all those people. I don't know. I just, I'm not really buying that one. What do you, how do you feel about that one? Yeah, I mean, unless it was maybe inside the plane, maybe the pilots just decided, you know, maybe the terrorists were at the doors trying to get in. They decided, well, fuck it. You know, they just t- took her down. Yeah. But one of those situations. Right. I, I don't know. I guess we'll kind of go through our favorites at the end here, but okay. I'm not. A, I'm kind of going from my least favorite to my most favorite. So it's kind of okay. how we're going here. Now, <laughs> the next, honestly, this conspiracy here is what made me want to do this whole episode when I first heard it just to Mm. figure out what the fuck this was all about now the next conspiracy revolves around a company called Freescale Semiconductor Freescale Semiconductor makes powerful microchips for many industries but one of their largest clients is defense aka the military just a few days before flight 370 disappeared on March 3rd uh, 2014, Freescale Semiconductor had just released some of its newest technology, sold it right up to America. Okay. Now, you're probably wondering, what does that have to do with 
Malaysian Flight 370. Well, 20 of the 300 and of the 239 people aboard were Freescale employees, 12 of which were Malaysian and 8 were Chinese. They were all headed to China to, quote, improve consumer product operations. One part of the conspiracy is that China actually either hijacked, took down the plane because they wanted to question those Freescale employees about what they have been giving to the United States. Mm. How do you feel about Interesting. that? Um, well, actually, I did just watch a really good documentary on basically the relationship between United States, Taiwan, and China. Basically, it was saying that Taiwan really isn't worried about getting invaded by China because they have this gigantic company that makes um, these chips, like really, really powerful chips, kind of like what you were talking about with these guys, the semiconductors, that basically if they stop selling the chips to China, then China's military, China's like industry would fall apart pretty quickly. So really right now, these silicon chips are very important in the world. So I can see how... You know, this would be really important to the Chinese to kind of try to figure out, is this a Malaysian company or is it uh, an, a company that kind of like sends their jobs abroad to have their ship made in Malaysia? It's, Do you know? I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like they, this company is, is located in America is what it seems oh. like, but they sell. The next part of the conspiracy here will maybe allude a little bit more to it, but that is what I'm gathering. They operate in America, but obviously travel and sell shit everywhere. Yeah, and they probably have their sweatshop microchip factories in these other countries. Probably in Malaysia, yeah. Probably in Malaysia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, I don't know. Let me finish the second part, and then we'll kind of discuss there. Uh, okay. Where the theory gets a little weirder is that four days after the disappearance of Flight 370, a patent was just approved for Freescale. The patent included a split between five different people, four of which were Chinese employees aboard Flight 370, and the fifth was the company Freescale Semiconductor itself, leading people to believe that the flight was taken down by Freescale Semiconductor so they wouldn't have to share any of the income that they were going to make with any of the other patent holders Now, we do know that the patent, without a doubt, does exist. And a lot of people believed these people were actually on the plane, but uh, none of the names on the patent were actually on the plane. And they claim the people, the company claims that the people who died on here um, were nothing more than like, they weren't the ones making the chips. They were like lower employees. That's what the company said. They're like, of course they said that. That's yeah. exactly what you would think that they said. <laughs> no, no, no. They're just janitors. That's all they do. They, they clean the floors and they died in that fucking plane. That's yeah. all they did. That's all they did for it. <laughs> so how do you feel about this now, Phil? Uh, it's a little weird. I mean, yeah. you know, part of that whole conspiracy is you take the grain of truth and you kind of bury it in the mountain of bullshit. And that's supposed to make it all true kind right. of situation. Right. Um. It's it's kind of you kind of like you have to stretch out kind of quite a bit. Um, 
I like the theory about kind of the whole corporate espionage and, you know, you have the Chinese government trying to steal the secrets of this company away from them. And you also have this company who's maybe trying to fleece, you know, its own employees. Like basically the company is working with the Chinese to kill off their employees to not have to, you know, not have to pay them anything. It's, I mean, it's good. It's, uh, it's nice fodder, but I'm not, uh, I'm not giving it 50, 50 basically. (laughs) It's funny they just named it literally Freescale Semiconductors. Like, they didn't even try to come up with anything more, like, elaborate. Like, it's a like it's basically a business that the CIA created. Yeah. And it's, like, a basically just a sugar company that's called Taste Good Sugar. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, I don't know. It, it's interesting. People connected the dots, and apparently this became one of those kind of copypasta emails that were like mass sent around on social media about yep, everyone was just sending out their lures trying yeah. to see what they could catch very similar to what QAnon does now by the way but uh but yeah yes. that's kind of how this all got rooted um but we'll 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 move on to the next one here uh another very popular theory is that the plane had actually been shot down by another country some speculate that it could have been a chinese submarine that actually shot it down some think that it was Russia that had shot the plane down. And very, a few people actually claim they think North Korea hijacked the plane, similar to what they North Korea had apparently done in 1969 to Korean Airlines YS-11. Didn't even, never even heard of that, but apparently they abducted a plane full of people and took it back to North Korea. So how do you feel about any of them? Yeah, I actually, I have heard of the, the Korean Airlines um hijacking um i've heard of that one uh it's a ooh. i mean back in 19 or the back in 2014 i think the uh the their new president the young guy kim il kim jung il or whatever his name is um i believe he'd only been in power like a couple of years maybe at that point so he he might have been trying to stretch his wings out and then gotten cold feet and then just you know denied the whole thing or just didn't take credit for the any of it. Um, I do know Kim Il-sung definitely took credit for the, the Korean Airlines flight back in 1969. Did, did they, like, kill all the people? Did they hold them ransom? Like, what did they do to them? I think they ended up letting... I think, I think most of them got let go. Most of them went back to South Korea. Yeah, it's just a very weird thing to do. I mean... Um, yeah, I just call him Gout Boy, but, uh, the new oh, one. <laughs> yeah. Big but, Boy. <laughs> yeah, Big Boy. Did big you Boy s- likes his buttered rolls. Yeah. Did you see the newest, um, like, r- Kim missile? Jung, Kim Jung Un. That's yes, his name. Yes, that is his name. Uh, did you see the latest, like, missile release video that they released with him? Yes. It yes, looks I like an action movie. Yep. That is, uh. Yeah. If that dude will make videos like that, I'm pretty sure he'd take credit for stealing this airplane. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's If he actually did it, I do believe he would take credit for it. Um, though I do not believe he ever actually took credit for having his brother assassinated. I'm he, not sure if he took credit for that. It's just everyone knows he did it. <laughs> Weren't they suspecting that when he dies, his sister's going to take over and she's like really mean? Well, she's actually intelligent is the thing. She's capable. 
they're calling they're saying it's kind of scary because she's capable so she's probably the most capable one they've had since kim il-sung if she does take over she is kind of cute though you got to give her that yeah she's a good looking chick um actually their dad um was kim jong-un no ill Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-il, yeah. Kim Jong-il. He might have been capable, but he was super infatuated with Hollywood. Like, basically making, like, North Korea, like, into having, like, movie studio productions and stuff. So he was kind of, you know, he kind of had a little bit of a, a side that, you know, maybe should have went to the country. But, how do you, yeah. I, how do you think he felt about that puppy puppet movie with him in it? The South Park one. What the hell is on with Team America? Oh, the Team America movie. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I doubt he ever, you know, saw it, but <laughs> <laughs> that was an awesome movie. <laughs> now, there's another interesting twist to the other country shooting this plane down. Um, on J- July on July 17, 2014, a few months after 370 disappear, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17 was actually confirmed to be shot down over the Ukraine um, this led some conspiracy theorists to claim that the, this was actually like, this was actually Flight 370, maybe it was being held captive or something. They released it and then they acted like they shot down Flight 17, but it was actually Flight 370. Now, it seems like a stretch. Yeah, that, I mean, you're, I don't actually remember the other flight being shot down. Was it, was it, did they figure out who shot it down? I remember this happening. I don't think they announced who it was, but I'm pretty sure it was, um, what do they call them? Russian separatists? Is that what they call them? Oh, kind of like the, almost like the Georgians. Like, uh, yeah, like a private group that's probably paid by Putin anyway, but. Oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's just his, it's just his double secret militia he's got. Yeah, it'd be like Blackwater, but the but you know I'd assume I don't know it's like a rebel group I think I'm pretty sure that's who they think did it. Okay, but I don't. We can <laughs> we can look onto that in a new episode. Obviously, there's a lot of crazy shit going on in Ukraine right now. Um, yeah, but, I I imagine if Russia had a civil war, both sides would probably be led by Putin. Yeah, secretly, exactly. I doubt I doubt there's much in fucking Russia that goes on that doesn't have Putin's fucking <laughs> fingers in it. I know he is a. Ah, yeah, he is a piece of shit, isn't he? Of course, now he's supposed to be a sick boy. They actually think he might get ousted because uh, apparently he is in very bad health. That might just be propaganda, though. See, what it's I... all propaganda nowadays. True. Uh, yeah, that, that was a rumor. He has some sort of cancer, um, which yep. which his immune system's compromised, which is why when COVID was raging in Russia, he had people like sit really far away from him because... He was so weak. If he got it, it could actually like legitimately kill him. Could have killed him. Yeah. yeah. They also think he's starting to get dementia real too. So I mean, the way he's acting, you would assume so. Definitely. Now, the next few theories we're going to go through here, I think are probably close to the most logical ones. And they yeah. also can kind of all meld together in some way, which... We'll kind of get to at the very end here. Now, the the next theory is that apparently the Boeing 777s had been experiencing some problems with cracks in them. About six months before the disappearance of Flight 370, 
the U.S. aviation watchdog had warned airlines of the crack problem with the Boeing 777s that could potentially lead to mid-air breakups or catastrophic drops in cabin pressure. Never had happened on record. The The FAA issued a final warning two days before Flight 370 went missing that an airline had found a Boeing 777 with a crack in it about 15 inches in uh, in length there. Apparently, Boeing stated that the plane 370 couldn't have experienced these cracks, though. Their reason was because it had a different antenna than the ones that had cracks, which I didn't make entirely a lot of sense to me, but that was the explanation why the crack leading into midair breakup wouldn't have been possible with this particular plane. Okay. So with the different antenna explanation, possibly their reasoning is that it could be the antennas that are causing these cracks. Like it's around the antenna area? Yes. Possibly maybe these antenna are either something like there. I have no idea. They maybe are too big and they're kind of like breaking up the area that's supporting it or... Possibly, you know, it's an inferior antenna. Um, We did say that this plane was 11 years old. Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. So it probably, it's getting regular maintenance. Um, Not really sure about Malaysia Airlines, like if they're, you know, if their maintenance people are are very good (laughs) or if they're actually like seeing these cracks. That would be kind of my question. Like, how well do these planes get a once-over every time they land, you know? Well, here's my speculation, okay? Okay. Even if this plane wasn't the particular model that was having the problems, I would put money that even if these planes were issued this warning, um, I guarantee some countries continue to use them regardless. And Oh, definitely. And yeah. As far as we know, none of them have broken up in air, in middle of air. Uh, so, I don't know. It could be a very, very rare event this happened, maybe, but um, yeah. maybe they and you, issued a way to fix it, perhaps? Yeah, and they're probably not even talking about the entire 777s, because you said 777-200 uh, series. Yeah. So, there's, there's a lot more than just the 200 series for 777. Because these still run, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. They, uh, for international flights, they're like most people will fly on 777. Okay. For Boeing. Gotcha. Okay. So, again, probably an unlikely one. Um, but it could, if, let's just speculate, if it did happen, that can lead into the next uh, part of the conspiracy here that they speculate maybe there's a math, mass hypoxia event, uh, that could have happened aboard the plane. What this basically means is a loss of oxygen that would have knocked out all of the uh, flight attendants and the passengers when it happened. And what's interesting is because they're of 9-11, a lot of the planes have anti-terrorist doors leading into the cockpit, meaning even if everybody, the passengers and everything had lost um, consciousness due to uh, oxygen and all of that stuff, it would take about a uh, about an hour to it 
for it to affect the pilots, which I mm-hmm. thought was kind of weird, but could also explain maybe why uh, the pilot was kind of messaging weird. Maybe he was suffering from a slow loss of oxygen. That's something they kind oh. of explained. Um, or maybe one of the pilots was about to lose consciousness and they simply just turned the plane on autopilot. Because what we do know for sure, and I guess I should have mentioned this earlier, is when the plane uh, did all its maneuvers and started heading south towards Antarctica, the autopilot was engaged. They do know that for certain. Okay, gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. That actually makes quite a bit of sense. Um, So... In an event of a lot like a loss of oxygen event, you would think that the pilots would have been alerted and like their masks would have came, you know, they would have been told to like put their mask. Basically, they have oxygen masks that okay. uh, just for them. So what one? OK, I guess I can't speak for them. One of the videos I did watch, they explained that in the event that they're describing this happening, the passengers when their mask dropped. Uh, it wouldn't have helped them. Oh, okay. Well, they were at 35,000 feet. So if there was a loss of pressure, basically the the cabin air pressure would have been um, getting sucked out of the plane, kind of out into like the open space, yeah. the open air. Yeah. So once that, like once the cabin air pressure went down below a certain point, then that's when the mass dropped down. Maybe I, mis- or maybe I misinterpreted it for a different spot. I'll talk about the the section where they think is claim the mask wouldn't have worked for them, but um, okay, we'll get to that and then kind of the next few here. But yeah, I I don't know. Wait, so you think this one pretty good, pretty good possibility? I mean, it's a good possibility for why the I mean why the autopilot was engaged, why they stopped radioing in. Um, it's odd that the autopilot decided to take them on a little voyage, you know, yeah. down down over Vietnam and then out into the Indian Ocean when you would think that the the plane would just go straight unless they, unless they passed out and were like they passed out onto the uh the controls or something. So, yeah, cuz the I think the biggest hole with this theory is if they were experiencing that um and they turned around. Why wouldn't they just try to find the closest runway instead of hitting autopilot and heading out into the middle of fucking nowhere? Yeah, I can see them hitting the autopilot, but turning off the transponder. That's a little that's a little weird. They wouldn't. I mean, unless they accidentally hit it while they were passing out. Right. They I doubt that they would turn off their transponder. Right. So uh, kind of another theory that's wrapped up in here is some people speculate Maybe there's a fire somewhere on the plane that then led to the uh, deprivation of oxygen. And they speculate maybe the fire had burned some of the electronics that turned off, say, like the transponder and things like that. Oh, there you go. Okay. Another possibility. That, another possibility. Maybe maybe the fire um, also <laughs> stopped the, uh, the mass from coming out. Or possibly you wouldn't want pure oxygen coming into the cabin while there's a fire. That's a good so, point. Yeah. That is and quite flammable. If it, kill, if it killed the transponder and the, all the communication, then it's no wonder that they didn't you know, say anything. Again, 
why wouldn't they try an emergency landing anywhere? They were a lot they were they were a lot closer to other countries than they were heading out into <laughs> the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's a little I mean, you would think that where the number so this map you have down below, where the number two is where they made that sharp turn, they were coming right into Cambodia, Vietnam, uh Thailand, Laos is up there. You know, it's uh they have quite a few options for places to land. So Right. I think the the very kind of very last conspiracy theory here is gonna kind Ooh. of meld all of the information together. And I think for me personally it might be the strongest competitor. Although it wasn't initially, I think as time has progressed, they have viewed this as maybe the the best possible explanation for why all the weird turns why autopilot why turning the transponder off you ready to stop me go ahead stop me if this is the conspiracy i just had an idea okay so i'm looking down at the map and it looks like they were actually trying to do a 180 and go home but if their navigation and all that shit was burnt out then they might have thought oh shit we turned too far now they tried to go more northwest to try to match up, find Kuala Lumpur. It turns out, though, they hadn't gone completely in a 180. So they were actually going over Vietnam um, more to the northwest, possibly. So the, your theory is kind of maybe they're experiencing problems. They yep. were trying to get back, but yep. they got Trying to go straight and... back home, but they didn't turn around um, all the way, like 180 degrees. And then they thought, oh, shit, we actually went far. So they tried to go out northwest, and then they realized, fuck, we're, we're way off. So they tried to go south just to find any land, and then obviously they didn't find any at all. Because yeah. they were heading straight for Antarctica. That isn't the last conspiracy, but I do like that one. That is a very good possibility, especially if they were experiencing a loss of oxygen, the pilots, and your brain's not really working real well when you don't have the oxygen you need. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, basically, they just had it on autopilot. They said, shit, make a correction, go this way. Shit, another correction, go this way. And then it's basically just like, fuck it. Go south and we'll just try to find any land we can find. And then they found nothing. Because they were basically just going straight over the middle of the Indian Ocean. Right. Well, let me tell you about this last one here, okay? Okay. Now, keep in mind, everybody out there, this is pure speculation there's no definitive proof on any of this especially this one but the last theory revolves completely around the main pilot Zahari what we know for certain is that the first sharp turn is without a doubt and this is confirmed by everybody it was so sharp and um like distinct that it had to have been done by a human okay we know that it's not natural for a plane to make that sort of maneuver with autopilot on. After they did that, they then cruised, the continued to uh, have the plane go for an additional six hours. Additionally, they know for certain that the electronic systems were disabled on the plane, the cabin air pressure was manually depressurized, and the speed at which the plane started to make a descent was significantly fla- faster than the plane would have on uh, on autopilot. And they're estimating before the end of the crash, it was going down at 15,000 feet per second. 
Okay, that's basically a fucking nosedive. All right. 15,000 or 1,500 or 15,000? They said 15,000. Like 15,000 feet per second would have meant at 35,000 feet, you hit the ocean in, in two seconds. That's pretty just, fucking fast. Just listen here. Okay. Now, I know this is crazy. This is why. Hey, that's like that's like a meteor coming, okay, maybe coming it was, into Earth. Okay, that's sorry. Fast. Maybe it wasn't that fast, but I don't know. This is what the site said. Maybe they meant 1,500. Um, Possibly 1,500. Yeah. All we know is it would be fast enough to immediately knock out and kill all the passengers. They know that for certain, whatever speed that is. Okay. Uh, so, and they estimate, this is the estimation of when the plane actually um, ran out of, or I shouldn't even say ran out of gas, crashed or whatever have you. It was between 8.19 a.m. and 9.15 p.m. It's still an, about an hour gap, but they're pretty certain... This is when the plane went down because this is um, when the satellites couldn't ping it any longer. Um, okay. And like I said, that was two hours after the search and rescue was underway. So, um, yeah, I don't know, honestly, how fast the plane was descending, but I do know they know for certain it was way faster than an autopilot was, meaning they're pretty certain it was deliberate. Now, when I said the electronic system, cabin pressure... Uh, transponder and all of that were disabled. They can't rule out that it wasn't a fire, right? That burned it all up or whatever. Yeah. So that's why they can't rule that out. But they do know those systems were disabled. Yeah. they. So that, that entire trip all the way from above Malaysia, all the way down to damn near Antarctica, until it made its final descent, they were pretty much just flying, no transponder, autopilot. Right. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Now, now keep in mind, well, I'll talk about it. At least that's the report we're given. Okay. Yep. Now they allegedly, this is all allegedly, Zahari uh, had, had apparently just recently been divorced and he was known to be quite depressed about it. And they claim, okay, this is <laughs> pure speculation that his intricate flight simulators, um, mm -hmm. Zahari had actually been practicing this exact flight path on his game. So they think Zahari might have chose to do a murder-suicide on the plane. The other explanation is that Zahari did this for some sort of political move or he was trying to get something out of the government. So that aspect will make even more sense when I go over the latest details they found about the plane's route. So okay, what, how, do, how does this sound to you so far? Okay, so in my mind, when we were first, if I was thinking that there was any kind of anti-government kind of sentiment among either of the pilots, kind of like the rebellious nature, you would automatically go with the young guy. You're right. Because usually old faithful, 50-some-year-old guy whose favorite thing to do is play flight simulator at home before he goes to work as a pilot, you'd think he's pretty solid in his, in his seat, you know, like maybe it's the young guy who overpowered him and then went on this like wild joy ride, you know, or doing whatever, whatnot. Right. So, I mean, though the recently divorced thing, um, it is kind of odd. You would think that the co-pilot would take over or would have done something unless he purposely dropped cabin air pressure, put the mask on, and then his co-pilot just passed out. 
something see, like that. See, I think what they are speculating he might have done is at least depressurize the main cabin that would have killed um, everybody really fast. So it was basically just him on the plane. Uh, okay. Again, pure speculation. Now, one of the things where I think the search and rescue thing are a little suspicious um, in all of this is apparently from the sources, <laughs> the Malaysian government is known for being quite corrupt. Uh, yes. And when you have a corrupt government or shady government, they will hide stuff, hide details. So some think that uh, Zahari was actually in communication with the Malaysian government the whole time. Maybe he had a ransom. Maybe he had some demands, a political demand, something like that, saying, like, you better do this or I'm going to kill everybody. Um, yeah. So they think maybe they shot him down from being a terrorist. I don't know. Or like... A neighboring country helped them or something like that. How do you, what do you think or about the, this one? Or the Malaysian government just called his bluff and just could let him be. go. Very, just, this just could let be. him, let him fly till he ran out of gas. Right. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that one? I mean, that's a, it's kind of a crazy one. Um, It's one of those situations where you would think that in the, what, eight years since that happened, that you would have some people kind of insiders from the government come out and talk about it if it was that situation. Um, yeah. I do, I have heard, obviously, from listening, you know, there's a lot of podcasts about this. There's a lot of documentaries. Uh, Malaysian government is supposedly, like, super corrupt. Um, and, I mean, it, it sounds like a like a good kind of like if it was a movie, you know, it right. sounds like it'd make like a good script, but in real life, um, Malaysia, the country of Malaysia got a lot of shit for this. Um, yeah. you would think that they would just want to get this plane landed and get those people to safety as quick, you know, just basically claiming, yeah, we'll give you whatever, we'll give you what you want. We'll have it for you right here at the airport. The guy lands it. And then they kind of figure out a way to, you know, deal with them, de-escalate, and then you know, kill them basically. Well, let me give you this last, very, very last piece of information that apparently this information was <laughs> has just came to light uh, about three months ago. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. So that's th this, pretty recent. Yeah, this shit kind of blew my mind. So there's a man. He's a German man named Richard Godfrey. Now, what he did to track the exact movements of this plane better than anyone else could. He actually, how did he explain this? He located all the people who are in this like weird seat. I don't, what would you call it? Like a radio wave thing where they talk to each other and like the, a network. Yes. Where they shoot okay. signals across the earth, right. To communicate with each other. So what he did is gathered all the information and figured out where all the blocks were in this particular area from the radio waves and has laid out a complete path for where this plane would have took. And you might, according to him, you might first think, okay, Hey, there could have been any planes in that area. Right. Yeah. He said the only other scheduled flight in this vicinity had was left the area. It was an hour's flight time from where this plane was. So he is almost positive. It would have had to have been this plane. 
and it uh, his route lays out almost the exact same one um, that you see here on this map, right? Except yep. for two differences. Um, slightly below where you see the letter, uh, number three there, it did a loop-de-loop that extended for 20 minutes. And then it goes south a little bit more, and it did another loop-de-loop for about 20 minutes. Okay. So, okay, what this, I think what they're getting to when they see this, if this is real, is this might have been this guy delaying for time. Yeah, going out to international waters and then trying to get so that he could have his demands met. Yeah. Basically, kind of like kind of like how planes will do big loops when they're waiting to land at an airport. He was doing these big loops, kind of waiting for Malaysian government to meet his demands or the Australians or Chinese, whoever he was in demand talks with. So, yeah. Uh, anybody interested in this? It's like a 20-minute segment segment on Australian 2020. It's very good, yeah. very informative. But I think yeah. when you see that, obviously, I don't know how <laughs> accurate that is, marking every time anybody had a block in the radio wave. Um, but it seems pretty legit. Okay, yeah. I mean, it is pretty... It's pretty, I don't under, obviously I don't understand the science of it at all. Trying to find like using radio waves, to try to find this airplane or figure that out. I will say Richard Godfrey, if you are listening out there, there are these places called bars where you can meet, you know, whatever you're into guys, women, you know, bronies, perhaps if that's what you're into, uh, you know, just for hanging out for, you know, sex, whatever. You know, just, uh, you know, maybe get out of your basement, <laughs> maybe quit playing with radio waves. But I will say that, yeah, that kind of that if there was little loop de loops kind of that they were doing and then he just decided, fuck it, we're going down, you know, we're going down south, then maybe that kind of does push the theory a little bit that the pilot took over and was maybe making some demands. It's just it's so odd. I mean, You've got a guy, this guy, like you think of like the most solid dude or chick or whatever, whoever works, whoever you work with, the most solid person, like they're not going to just stray from the script. You know, this guy's got what, 18,000 flying hour, mid fifties. Uh, it's kind of weird to think that this guy is just going to one day just, you know, completely go nuts. I mean, maybe he thought about it for the last 20 years and, you know. How many times has he said, this is the day I fucking do it, and then chickens up? You know, 18 hours, 18,000 hours, how many flights, how many years? I just, it's it's a rough one. But if if he did think his life was over, you know, some people take divorce really bad. Um, maybe he didn't have much of a life to begin with, except for, you know, flying around in his little flight simulator. So See, I think this is why I, what I meant when I said initially – this was like the farthest one because it almost seemed impossible to imagine someone doing this. But as yeah. time progressed and they're kind of ruling it out, all the deliberate turns, someone possibly purposely dis turning off the transponder, possibly turning off uh, other electronic things, disabling cabin pressure. It makes you wonder if somebody, even if it isn't Zahari, maybe it was the other guy, I don't know, but it just seems really weird. Unless, like we said, this is just a bullshit story cover-up for what really happened. Possibly. Yeah, I would say for that story, if you actually may implicated the younger guy. So say right after took off, right after 
took off. Right after takeoff, that younger pilot basically just killed the older pilot. And then he was the one flying. So basically he knows how to fly, but maybe he doesn't know like all of the lingo, um, all of the things you're supposed to say to the tower. So maybe that's why he was fucking up what he was supposed to say to the tower. And the old man wasn't like, you know, on his ass correcting him because the old man was dead. Right. So maybe the young man was actually saying that shit. And then he said, okay, now's a good time to do it. He fucking does a J turn and goes over Vietnam, goes up towards the Indian ocean, starts making his demands, does some loop de loops. And then basically they tell him to go fuck himself. So he goes out flying, trying to figure out where he's going and then just ends up in the fucking Indian ocean. And then the Arctic ocean. I mean, what if it was something like the guy got divorced, they, and the government told him he was going to be fired and replaced by the kid in the plane. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, maybe yeah. they're not saying these things. Maybe they're hiding the fact that this guy did it. I don't know. Um, I, I said Arctic Ocean. I meant Antarctica, going down to Antarctica. <laughs> Arctic Ocean's up north. Maybe there's Probably still... no one caught it, but whatever. Okay, could they be hiding in Antarctica still with the penguins? With the Nazis. Yeah, Possibly. <laughs> of course, their Nazi submarine base and Hollow Earth with Barry goddamn Satiro and the rest of the Pittsburgh fucking thugs. Okay. Yeah, how about they're this, down there. How about this very last theory that they were experiencing problems or couldn't land and he was doing the loop-de-loop to, de- to delay for time, asking for help. But then again, that doesn't make sense why he would continue to go south. So, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, you would think that he would fly over land to try to figure out, you know, um, where to go. Maybe he was lost. Maybe their navigation was fucked up, and he was doing big circles. Because he thought, like, oh, land is going to be, you know. He probably thought he was up in that little... Um, the little gulf right there where uh, kind of like you were talking about the peninsula where Thailand is. Maybe right. he thought he was in that gulf and that's where he was doing whoop-de-whoops, trying to find some land. It could be. I don't know. It's oh, it's all you... speculation at this okay. point. But Just give me like one or two of your favorite ones and then we'll get Ooh. out of here. All right. Uh, my favorite one is the... Ooh. I'm going to say the the old man taking over the plane, but I'm going to replace the old man with the young man. Okay. I like that better. Okay. And then the Malaysian government cover and then telling him to go fuck himself. And then he drops it in the water. Also, I do like Malaysia, the country shooting down the plane. Yeah. I like that idea too. Uh, I, I honestly like, obviously it's not groundbreaking because most people believe the pilot has something to do with it. But um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a crazy story. Unfortunately, we weren't really, able to give you a definitive answer, but I think we've narrowed it down quite a bit. And I think a lot of this information, um, I didn't know. I don't know. I'm assuming you didn't know a lot of it either. Oh, no. Yeah. So our fan base, I know they've heard of it. Most of us were probably alive when this happened. Um, so, but anyway, let's, uh, let's roll out. You've been going for a while here, Phil. If anybody wants to give us their opinion on uh, Flight 370, where can they do that? They can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we really love hearing from everybody. Uh, it's great. We get a lot of uh, really good ideas for episode ideas, you know, everything like that. Thank you for those. You can also hit us up on our Instagram account, Subliminal Deception Podcast on IG. Same thing. Thanks for all of the likes and all of the shares. Uh, every time we post anything, seems like you guys always, you know, share it with everyone else. So really, thank you for that. 
Uh, Cody and I both have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody, you got one? Yeah, you can follow me at Cody Zabob on Instagram. Sometimes I post stuff, sometimes I don't. Depends how I'm feeling that week. Uh, last thing we need you guys to do is to log on to iTunes, leave a show a five-star review, preferably written, just write whatever the fuck you want in there. We greatly appreciate everyone who's taken time to do that for us. Uh, if you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. You literally just hit the five stars, hit submit, and you are done. You physically cannot type on their application, but it still greatly helps out the show. Thank you to those who have done it. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this big, long conspiracy episode. We'll Great episode, Cody. Thank yeah, it's good. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.